In this episode of Orodua, James Webster is joined by Salvador Brown, a musician and oro practitioner who explores his passion for oro and how it is connected to his whakapapa in Te Nuyakiwa, Kihamua. With a passion for oro and musical traditions that are spread throughout the Pacific, Salvador discusses how the oro, the vibration, the musical traditions in the Pacific are very closely related and how the different traditions have changed through the epic journey to Aotearoa from the Pacific. Nō reira e te iwi, mai. Salvador um, yeah, pai te, you know, te whakarite i a koe te arama i te kōrero uh, ki haumanu, ki, ki ngā tangata e whakarongo mai nei, uh, ki tēnei o ngā kōrero e kōrero e tatau, e pāna uh, te aupūoro, e tō hairinga, tō manawa, e pāna tēnei kaupapa uh, ngā taungupūoro. Uh, so yeah, welcome. I'm sitting here today with um, Salvador Brown, and um, yeah, privilege that he's uh, taking the time to come and share some of your kōrero with us, bro. And so yeah, look forward to um, yeah our conversation today. So yeah, I'll just um, could you tell us no here kwe. Fa alongo mai, fa alongo mai, fa alongo mea sina alongo a Samoa, fa alongo mai mea sina alongo a Aotearoa. Fa alongo e ulunga lupe e tangi alo ngongo, fa alongo i ngalu fatio o a tangaroa, se ma tangi fe mu aia o mauli, mu a o. Uh, Malau, James, thank you very much. I uh, feel very honoured to be here. feel like I should be asking you all the questions. <laughs> um, all the beautiful mahi that you've done. My blood ties me to the islands of Samoa, to the village of, of Falifa. Uh, my family name is Elayasa. We sit from underneath the mountain of Ailima, uh, the purest of waters. Uh, and that's what ties me to the to the great Moana Nuyakiwa, also mixed in with a bit of Viking uh, and Irish uh, whiskey drinking Scotsman as well. <laughs> but through community, 
Um, I've I've been very blessed to be whangai and 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 brought up by by many beautiful cultures of the Moana. Um, first of all, a, a big mehi to the Pacific Sisters. My mother, Rosanna Raymond, who's been a long-standing member of the Pacific Sisters, I've been brought up around, and then also lived in London for a really long time, where I was a member of Ngāti Rānana, did 10 years of kapahaka uh, with Ngāti Rānana, and even did mautaiha over in, in Rānana with Maramara Tōtara, who is the English branch of Tufari Tutoa, and then moved back to New Zealand about four years ago, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned Rosanna Raymond, fabulous <laughs> Rosanna Raymond, the son of, <laughs> of course, fabulous um, poet and performer, and uh, wahine to, you know, which I, uh, I can only imagine has influenced you and your, mm. you know, your creative energies and, and whatnot. And so, you know, with all these things that have, you, you've just talked about, um, you know, how does that bring you to be involved or your background in relationship to Taonga Pūro? I'm very blessed. I don't remember when I started playing Taonga Pūro. Uh, it's been in my house since I was I was, I was was born, pretty much. Te Meringa Hohaia introduced Pūro to the Pacific Sisters and introduced it to my mum. Mm. And that was at a time she's even told me, you know, when people were still kind of questioning the, the tapu or tapuness of Taonga Pūro and he was one person that said, you know, no, you guys can play, you know. I think there was even a question of if women could play Taonga Pūro. And he was like, no, yeah, of course you can. Hene Raukatauri and Hene Pūtehiwe. Don't be silly. But I think there's this story of the first time I, I played a piece, I was four years old. Apparently I just walked up to uh, a Pumuana and picked it up and played it and my mum looked at me and was like, hold a sec, you're four years old and you can get a sound on a, on a poo. Yeah, so ever since then I've just I've been surrounded by it. There are other members of the Pacific Sisters like Carlos Quarter, who really nourished me in, in, in playing Taonga Pūro. And then living in London, um, was hanging out with Jerome at Natiranana. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was this was yeah, many moons ago. That was like fifteen years ago. So I, I got to learn from him and yeah, I actually even saw Richard talk in London once, which was was a real blessing and the first time I saw him do the Orururangi and I remember sitting there and he was playing his putorino and then he put his his voice into it and just the whole vibrations that came off of that I remember my hairs going up the back of my spine and going how did he do that wow yeah 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 well that's just like yeah you know, in my corridor on my podcast, that's mm. how I, what I talked about, yeah, the hairs on the back of your neck standing mm. up from just listening to the sounds and vibrations mm. of Tonga Pūro. And I, I just want to take a note here to, um, you know, just mentioned, yeah, um, Te or Ohaia. You know, he's sort of one of the unsung sort of heroes of mm. Tonga Pūro. You don't actually hear his name mentioned a lot, you know, from Taranaki and stuff, but he was also instrumental in, you know, sort of um, me as well, mm. oh. you know, sort of hanging out in Taranaki um, in my early 20s mm. and um, knowing that he was a Tonga Pūoro player and, um, yeah, he contributed a lot, but he was he was a real papakainga man, eh? Mm. So he didn't, like, get out there like a, 
Hedony and Richard and all those sort of you know, the people that I talk most about. But yeah, it's got a special place in my own heart for um, yeah, Timiringa too. Eh? He's, he was an awesome fellow mm. and uh, really fought gallantly and strong for his people of Taranaki and Pariaka too. So yeah, lead to you and mentioning Timiringa. So yeah, thanks for jotting that memory. <laughs> cool as. So you've it's been in your life, you know, all this this time, and um, which sounds like a blessing. It sounds awesome, you know. And like when you you're saying that you don't even remember, but when did you become conscious about you know the Del Puro and you know because I sort of look down mm. at your box, you've got a nice collection, and I know <laughs> that you perform and mm. uh, with Tonga Puro and you know all those things, and you know you're a great player, and yeah, you'd really like. You know, what I've seen of you and the experiences and the collaborations, the few collaborations we've had, you know, and maybe you could talk a little bit about, about yeah, when it became a conscious sort of element in your life. Um, I think I was about 14 and I'd gone down to Takapo to do my potahi grading and I'd been living in London and we'd all come over with the Ropu from Maramara Totara. And on our way back from our grading, we were going through, I think it was Rotorua, I can't remember exactly, and I had some money aside in account, and I saw this pukaya. This pukaya I've had since I was 14. <laughs> and I had some money aside, and I was like, I, I want that pukaya. And it's been with me ever since then. His name has changed three times because he broke his nose once, so he became Rua Ehu Potahi because <laughs> he was on my Potahi grading. He's always wears my tea putty for that. And then I actually stopped playing for a bit, um, you know, after my, my teenage years and I kind of turned 18 and everything kind of got put on a shelf and it was actually mum and dad's house. I'd moved out and it wasn't until about five or six years ago where I had this real calling to start playing again and picked it up. And yeah, this is one tonga. I'm not gonna. I've been cheeky. I've even opened his waha a bit because it was really, it was really close. I've kind of opened up a bit. Yeah, but I was also I was very blessed with my mum that she would. My mum works a lot with museums, so she's worked a lot with the British Museum, um, the Cambridge Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. I just loved saying that name. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous name. <laughs> <laughs> and so my mum would be working with collections inside of museums and I'd be this little 14 year old kid on summer holidays running around the back rooms of the British Museum or, or, or the Cambridge Museum and you know to stop me from being such a little hototu and stuff like that mum would be like ask the lady if you can see some puoro <laughs> you know or see some fangu fangu or, or see some of our nose flutes from Hamwa where my, my ngafa is from and those are some of those connections Awesome. So it sort of brings me to uh, like a thought of, so, you know, you opened up your mihi mihi with, um, you know, native language, Samoan language mm. and stuff. With your journey with Tonga Pool or have you like drawn connections between like Samoan, mm. Tonga Pool and Māori Tonga Pool and, yeah, and language as mm. well, you know, do the languages relative to instruments and uh, Māori and Samoan correspond or similar, you know, yeah, similarities? Yeah, 100%. Or not? 
so the first kind of time that happened was mum was uh, I work a lot with my mum. <laughs> we great. we it's do great. work you can with, work the, with yeah, your mum. That's beautiful. With the Savage Club and and the Pacific <laughs> Sisters, and she was over in Hawaii at the Bishop's Museum. So Tirangi Hiroa used to be the curator at um, the Bishop's Museum, and he's written a couple of important books for Te Ao Māori and and Te Ao Hamoa as well. Um, he wrote The Coming of the Māori, which is was one of the people that said, you know, these instruments will never sing again. But he also wrote a book which is called Samoan Material Culture. And his notes are stored at the Bishop Museum in Hawaii. And my mum sends me this picture of his notes with this crazy handwriting <laughs> you cannot read, you know. And he's talking about a bull roarer in Samoa. Um, and I'm like, we had pūrerehua. So... It was, it was called a lango mumu, um, and that was the first kind of little seed. So then a few years, once I had moved back to New Zealand and we've, we've gotten into lockdown, and there were some things, CNZ were putting out some opportunities to, to do some research during lockdown, and Pacific Sisters, we applied for it and we got it. So I, I started this project, which was Fangu Tangi. Um, fangu means something bottled, and tangi, sound, cry. Same, same in Samoan, same in Māori. And I really dived into to all that and had a little meeting with Horo and he was like, oh, Lango. Oh, that's like our name, Rango Rango. And he was like, that's another name for, for Pūrerehua. So it, it really sparked me to really go on this this big, amazing journey that I've, I've been going on recently and looking at what we've been calling it Miasina Longo because Miasina is, is our word for Taonga and Longo, you know, same like Rongo, Whakarongo, is to, to hear these, these treasured sounds. For me, from my research, pretty much every instrument apart from the putorino, which is obviously very unique to Aotearoa, was in all of the islands. But ours weren't carved as much, you know. They were literally pieces of bamboo. One of my favourite um, things that I've, I've found is I can, you can actually start to trace the whakapapa of the taonga across the whole of the moana. So in Samoa, we have the utete. So the utete is pretty much the equivalent of um, the mouth harp, the roria. Then you go to Tahiti. The instrument stays the same, but the name changes, and it becomes the, from the utetea, it changes to ukekea, but the instrument stays the same. Then you go over to Hawaii, and in Hawaii they have the ukekea, but it's no longer a roria. It becomes a mouth harp, it becomes a ku. And then I was like, okay, so it's here in Aotearoa and it's called a coup. I'm like, how did it get the name coup? How did it drop all of this information? And I was talking to Aruha, Yates Smith, and she was like, oh, Salva, there was probably a glottal stop in the front of that ooh. So that was a coup. So, mm. and the tear tear probably would have been dropped. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the whole whakapapa of a taonga being taken on the waka and changing and moving a little bit of those kind of whispers, names change and mm. things. And I just thought that's so beautiful. And then with the ku as well, being made from kareao, tuna, a supplejack, um, I read this really beautiful story of when Maui was defeating tuna and he chopped up tuna into all these different pieces. He, he chopped, the head got thrown in the ocean, became the conga eels, body in the rivers became the, the freshwater eels. And the sinews and the tendons 
of tuna got thrown into the forest and it became the creeping, criming vines. I'm like, oh, that's karia. Mm. <laughs> so for us, tuna in, in Samoa is, is a really important story of Sina and tuna. It's well, Sina and tuna, you know. And his head gets cut off and planted in the ground and that's where the first coconut tree grows from. Um, and you actually see the face of tuna on the coconut. Mm. And I realized there's the face of tuna on the kariau. In each of the notches, you have the eyes and the mouth, and that's tuna. Mm. It's like, wow. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's a cool insight, bro. I, I think a lot of one of the things that Horo said when we look at what about indigenous music theory, like we're not going, um, this is A minor, E flat, or, or that. And he's, he was saying, when you're composing something, use our patterns. Use our korido, use our purako to to compose the music. So, like on my tatao that I, I really beautifully wear, I have the suckers of the the feke, um, the octopus. And I was I was first kind of thinking, okay, so is that like a really straight rhythm thing, you know? And Hodel was like, no, you're not quite getting it, you know. Think about the way that the octopus moves. The octopus can like swims through the ocean, and it's like you don't have to. You can think very physical about it, but it can also be quite. Uh, a bit more deeper into the stories. Mm. Yeah. Just talking about Puraka, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, I love the old Māori in relationship to that, like, you know, the story about Tuna and Māori and, you know, and how that influences our, the way we think about, um, you know, the world around us mm. and how things have come to be. And, um, Puraka was a great uh, example of that. In terms of Tonga Pura, is any, you know, what is it you specialise in or is there a sort of specialty that, you know, you're drawn to relative to your Tonga Pura? Like Puraka, any tikanga around what you do or, you know, like atuatanga pertaining to Tonga Pura? Yeah, I really enjoy the Puraka. Um, in Samoa, we call it the Whangongo. And also the learning the whakapapa of the taonga, I, I think, is, is, is really, really beautiful. And seeing our connections as, as people of the moana, you know. One of the things I think about quite a bit is, so the, the revival of the waka started in Hawaii with the hukulea, and it's something that spread very fast across the Pacific. And the tātātāo using the, the traditional ohi with, with the work of, of Paolo Soloapi in, in Samoa, and that has again spread across the moana, you know, with, with many people using the traditional tools. And I, I think that the mahi of Haumanu has, has sent that ripple across the Pacific as well, I think. The Hawaiians have done a beautiful job of reviving their music as well. And hopefully I can do a little bit with the, the Samoan stuff. <laughs> yeah, because um, I think, yeah, I do remember Eden, um, talking about, you know, going over to Rarotonga and, mm. you know, some of the experiences they had over there, tracing back some of the, you know, the, the journeys and uh, making connections and stuff like that. And, yeah, I always remember some of their kōrō about, you know, the the strand of mātauranga Māori pertaining to Tonga Pūrōs, it's sort of broken, you know, mm. like... So by them travelling around to, at their time, the different huis, you know, they talked about playing instruments and then, uh, you know, one of the queer would tell a story about her grandmother, mm. you know, so that's like uh, one, two, three, 
maybe four generations back of, in like memory, you know, cast back of their, her grandmother, you know, playing instruments or some Mm. information she was given as a kid, you know. And um, so gathering all that up and then, um, you know, compiling it um, so we could have a sort of broad overview of, you know, the instruments in, in general, you know, throughout the motu. And then, but what's happening now I see is like people are, you know, making it more um, rohi-based and, you know, more hapu, mm. iwi-based, sort of like, you know, really planting it back in and into their communities, which is great. You know, what are your aspirations for Taonga Pūoro sort of moving forward? Two elements to that is, you know, on a personal level, because um, you say you've just sort of got back into it in the, in the last sort of five or six years, mm. and then, you know, relative to people in general or communities in general. Really loving playing a lot at the moment, really pushing my playing. And I, I remember that's something, you know, when you... You hear um, Brian talk about, you know, you, or, or, or Richard talk about, you don't get your finger holes until you can uh, you can actually get a sound off of it. And taking that even further as well and, and really playing with the, especially with kōiwi kōwewo, bone kōwewos, where you can find the space where it can really, that microtonal pushing and playing inside of the kōwewo, I, re- I really love that. So pushing my playing, um, but I'm, I'm getting happy with that. And, I, yeah, I want to do more making. Over the coming years, definitely. But I also, I want to help, I want to push other players. I want to try and get some, you know, I'm, I'm very jealous of the Wellington scene and their orchestras and, and, and all that. So hopefully I want to try and get a, a group of us together in Tāmaki Makoto and get some more jamming on, which is, is good. I'm starting to meet some of the other players. Awesome. Just as a side note, to jump back to something we were talking about before, I went to a talk the other day of Nico Hinden and Rungumai Hoskins, and they were talking about the revival process they've been doing with the Ote. And there's something that Nico said that I was, I was like, ah, oh, I love that. What feels right with your hands? And, you know, in that revival process, and sometimes you're, you're trying different things. And with Taonga Puro looking out to the Pacific, you know, experimenting and, and playing with things that I, I, I feel is right. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, the scene that's happening in um, in Wellington. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous of that too myself. <laughs> you know, I've been at it for years, but, you know, they've got a real cluster of passionate people mm. about Tonga Puro and they're really doing stuff down there, which is great. But, yeah, you get a little bit jolly out of it. But, yeah, love what they're doing down there. Uh, it's cool as... Yeah, so have you got any um, last sort of words you want to share or any, you know, like tips or, um, you know, gems of uh, whakaro or kōruru around um, Tonga Pūru? There was something that I wanted to mention which was kind of actually kind of my scatterbrain. I've got a bit of a scatterbrain sometimes. It's the uh, the piwaka waka in me that's just like... Oh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, an artist, it's an artist thing too. Like yeah. I'm an artist of money. Yeah. Scatterbrain at times for sure. Um, but talking about before the the language, a lot of people that have done research on on us, we, you know, we're always, we're the research subjects. <laughs> Our music can kind of get broken up into 
into this Western construct of idlophones and idlophones and aerophones. When, when I'm reading a lot of people's writing like Richard Moyle or Tirangi Hiroa, this is how they, they broke it up in this academic form of writing. And one of the things that has been really freeing for, for me when I'm, I'm researching uh, another Moana culture from a Moana point of view has given me the ability to find so much more little nuggets of, of joy and, and knowledge. Um, so when I was like, okay, why don't I try and translate names of things from Taonga Puro into Samoan? Are there anything in the dictionary? Or Because there was this guy, George Best, who, who translated the Samoan language very early on because he was translating it for translating the Bible so they could get the Bible to everyone. So that dictionary has some really interesting little pieces of, of knowledge in it that have now since faded away from the language. So I was like, okay, why don't I start with just like the simple karanga manu? So we use the word manu as well. But you even heard me use it in the beginning of the karakia. We talk about the, um, the ngongo as well, which is the frigate bird, which was really important for people on the waka because if you saw an albatross, you knew you could be anywhere because <laughs> they just spend loads of time out in the ocean. But if you saw a frigate bird, you knew you were close to the land because they only would come out and then pop back in to feed their babies and feed their family. Um, so I was going through, searched manu, couldn't find it, and then I started searching ngongo, and I saw this thing ngongo fala, and I'm like, Fala is, is uh, our word for pandanus. That's what we use to mat, make mats from. And a lot of our, our taonga is it's like the, the pūtetere, the, the, the harakiki pūkaya. And I was like, oh, so we did have a, a, a little bird caller as well. Because in a lot of the, the writings of, of all these guys, they, they talk about um, things that are noise makers versus musical instruments. You know, like a karanga manu isn't a musical instrument because it has a purpose and a tool. It's to call birds. Um, so it's not a musical instrument. But I think most of us who play taonga puro know that we can get some beautiful music out of a karanga manu. So I think the process of uh, my friend Jamie Waititi says it's re no longer decolonization because we're still talking about the colonizer. And if we take the colonizer out of the picture and recenter ourselves as Moana people in Moana practices, in Moana ways, we will, you know, keep on stepping further and, and, and have some more awesome mahi to come. Yeah. Cool. Oh, well, um, yeah, just in closing, like, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks and appreciate your time coming to share your your journey and your kōrero with us. Um, you know, it's always a sort of like a challenge and a task to fill the person's life in the 35, <laughs> 40 minutes of kōrero, you know, and, you know, how do you, how do you grab the best thoughts from yeah. your from your being to, to do that it's a, it's a window in time and a, a quarter or that then we're going to capture and sort of share now podcast some um, ororua so once again bro um, yeah thanks for um, being you and um, bringing your gifts and your quarter to us and uh, maybe you could play us out on one of your with your tonga yeah nah, mihi.
Oh, det gjorde det. Godt dag, Bigård.